0: Today, you're listening to European Buddha.
1: Welcome to the European Buddha podcast and a warm hello on a sunny summer day in Vienna. After our interesting meeting with David Brazier, we um, considered inviting another guest to talk about Buddhism and Buddha and the importance they have in the lives of different practitioners of different ages. For this, we have a young female Lama with us today. Lama Rita Pichelhofer.
0: Hello, Rita, and hello, Emilia. Hello, Martin. Hope you're doing great on these summer days. So, our today's guest, Bodhi Lamarita. she grew up in Austria and studied languages and cultures of Southeast and Tibet at the University of Vienna. Year 1994, she met her root guru, His Eminence Chongchen Kenbo Choga Rinpoche. 32nd lineage holder of the Chongcheng tradition. The past 11 years, she has dedicated to the promulgation and perpetuation of the Chongchang Buddha path tradition. Warmly welcome Bodhila Marita. How are you this morning and where are you connecting from?
2: Thank you so much for having me. I am very honored and very happy to be speaking to you, actually from the Dzogchen Retreat Center Europe. So I'm in our retreat center that we just established a couple of years ago. And I'm very happy to be talking to both of you today.
0: Our first question is because when we hear your name, Bodhi Lama Rita, we hear the uh, word Lama and to our mind comes like an old master. So can you tell what your name means and, and how were you given this name?
2: Lama, you can think, is like a title. To one, on one hand, it's kind of an honorary title to a person that has just been practicing a lot of Buddhism and the person that kind of wants to do nothing but that. Just practice Buddhism, teach, help people put their whole life into or onto that path. And then if you have done that long enough, then you can get a title like that. And that's different in different Buddhist traditions, there' there's many, many Buddhist traditions. And there's different qualifications to that title in different Buddhist traditions. But I think what's similar or the same to all of them is that taking of responsibility that you get when you get this title is not just an honor. It's like a, a responsibility that you take when you take the title or when you When you embrace that position, similar to a doctor, you know, when you're a doctor, you also hold a specific responsibility or a specific, yeah, like honor. It's an honor, but it's also responsibility. You know, you promise that you will help those who are sick. And that's why you have this title, similar to Lama. Um,
1: As you are used to teach, could you um, present to our audience a little exercise or um, practice?
2: Oh, yes. I would really like that. Thank you so much for that request. I will joyfully take you on a little journey. So first, I would ask everybody to just sit. Just arrive in your body. And connect to your heart. Connect to all the... The beauty that is in your heart and relax with that beauty, with that ease and that hope, and welcome the day. Just like that. And it's a very, very short exercise.
1: <laughs> so you were talking about that a uh, Lama is um, some kind of an experienced practitioner. Mm-hmm. Um, but you are apparently, and also on the list, you are quite young. So how come that you are uh, collected so much experience already in your life? Well.
2: First disclaimer, I was born into a Buddhist family. My mom is a Buddhist and my father is a Buddhist as well. So when my sister and I were young, we always kind of were growing up with the idea of not harming, for example. That was one of the main things that was taught was to not harm anybody else or any any animal, to not think of any life lesser than ours. That's kind of the... I consider myself very fortunate to have had the opportunity to learn these values from a very young age on. I did meet my my own teacher when I was very, very young, when I was only three. And again, there was a very strong connection to that person. Just really amazing. Rinpoche didn't speak any English or any German. I didn't speak any English or any Tibetan. I mean, at three you hardly <laughs> even can speak. But I always really liked that being. There was always this strong liking to that, to that person, that being, and what they did, and what they what they did for other people, and what they what, what they were working for. That's kind of the beginning of the story. But then I consider myself extremely fortunate, even more fortunate than that. Because as Maya and my sister and I were growing up, we were always encouraged to think ourselves, right? to not just take an idea that our parents have and then take that without thinking about like, questioning this or thinking if it's the right thing for us. And we were, well, I was highly encouraged to look into the world, what other beliefs are there. So I did go to a Catholic school because I was like, yeah, I think that makes sense. I don't just want to be a Buddhist because my parents are Buddhist. I want, to, I want to find my own way and I want to learn what else is there, what other ideas are there. And so I went to this really good school to learn other ideas and views in the world. But then at around 12 or I would say 12 or 13, I, I was looking, I mean like many children, you're just looking for answers. You're looking for the answer. Who am I? Where do I come from? Um, where am I going? What is the purpose of life? And yeah, the, the other things I looked into didn't, didn't give me that answer. Like There was no concrete answer. Even philosophy, which I seriously still love to this day, had like really good ideas and really good starting points, but not really the answer that I might. 12-year-old brain was looking for. But at that time, I spoke a little bit of English and Rinpoche spoke a little bit of English and we did our first retreat.
1: And at that point, you were deciding to go to uh, a retreat. Not <laughs> yeah. many teenagers would decide to go on to a retreat.
2: Well, you know, we have... Oh, so, okay With Rinpoche, He he moved to the States when... So he first came to Austria, that's where we met him. He stayed in our house and we hosted him when he pretty much came from Nepal to Europe. But then Rinpoche moved from Europe to the States and he applied for a green card. And when you apply for a green card, you can't really leave the country for a long time. So we didn't see him for a long time or for a few years and we really missed him. So we requested if we could go and meet him. And yeah, amazingly enough, just happened to be a retreat there and we went there as a family maya dad mom and i and that was my first retreat where i got a lot of answers
0: looking for in the last episode we talked about this amazing figure buddha what does buddha mean to you the buddha the
2: the sanskrit words just means vast awakening the sanskrit word just means vast awakening Omniscient wisdom. That's what Buddha means.
1: So what does a vast awakening uh, mean to you? <laughs> like, nom- Normally we have in our Western world even a small, very small hint. But I think nobody actually knows what this means. So do you have a clue? Ah, yeah.
2: Okay. Yes. I, I need to... Yes, everybody thinks that Buddhists are like the most peaceful, most calm people. I'm not necessarily. I'm very peaceful, but I'm also very excited to talk about these things. But to talk about this, to talk about enlightenment and waking up and the path to that just gets me very, very excited. And I'm very happy to talk about that.
0: It's great. We can hear your enlightened energy all the way even to Helsinki Finland home studio. So (laughs) we're listening. (laughs)
2: Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. So the thing is that really every single being is looking for this kind of enlightenment. That is, that's what I believe. And I'm 100% sure that that is true because everybody wants to be happy. If we just go from that very basic sentient being understanding, everything anybody does is always to try to get to happiness and try to go away from suffering. It's, we just work like that. Sentient beings just work like any being works like that. Hope and fear. Right? We hope to get something that will make us happy, and we fear that there's something that will make us suffer. So we push that away. And that's just the engine of being. If you even look at the, the most fundamental, like most uh, smallest life form, like bacteria even a bacteria would try to survive, right? Would try to get away from fire, for example. Would go towards something that makes them less suffering. And if we take that as a given, if we take that as as what's just happening, then the idea of enlightenment makes sense. Because is it actually possible? And the question is, is it actually possible to achieve that? Is it actually possible to achieve happiness and to not have suffering? When we talk about Result Buddha, we just talk about somebody that managed to do that. Really, that's all it is. It is somebody that, that took that wish for happiness and found a way to get there.
0: And he shared it with all of us. And that's why we're here.
1: So do you think they, these teachings work? Do they work for you?
2: If I, if I do apply those teachings, and I have for, for my life, you know, because I've been doing this for some time, I can say that it's working. I can see that you, know, you just become more helpful to other people the more able to learn your triggers and to work with those instead of blaming others for for triggering me i will look at myself and think okay what's going on how can i how can i fix myself i mean there's a quote that from the bodhisattva charyavatara which is an amazing Buddhist book 10 out of 10 would recommend Beautiful book, Shanti Deva. So good. And he says, You cannot cover the whole world in leather, but you can cover your own feet in leather. Meaning that we cannot ensure that the whole world never does anything to trigger us. You can't. <laughs> it would be nice, but it's, un- it's not possible. But we can learn to change ourselves and fix ourselves to learn how to work with the triggers that arise in our world.
0: Have you encountered challenges during this path and how have you risen yeah, about them?
2: I mean, really most challenges are internal. If somebody doesn't respect me, what to do? Yeah. <laughs> what to do? I totally understand. It's weird. I'm young, I'm white, I'm female. Jesus I'm Austrian, I'm not even Tibetan. I mean, whoa, what's happening? I totally get it. <laughs> but then the question again comes, what do I do with those? What do I do with that? Do I let, for example, like disrespect come to me in a way where I then disrespect my my position or not? And this comes back to remembering why I do what I do. <laughs> I don't do what I do just to be like great or anything like that, right? I'm literally doing this because I want to help beings. It's not even about me. It's about what this title and this position can do for others. And if if I remember that, the challenges don't become so strong.
0: That's a very good reminder why we practice. We practice for all sentience sentient beings to be be free from suffering and
2: but, but if those if that comes to you, you know, if that if um if you forget that, if you forget why you do what you do. I mean it's like that of any position of power you can say if you forget what you, why you do what you do, and it just becomes about me as a person and like looking good and people respecting me, then that, then that is the biggest obstacle. That is the biggest problem. And that doesn't come from anybody else. That is an internal issue that, you know, you have to deal with if you are in a position like that.
1: And I think you, you can also uh, feel um, the trust of your teacher appointing an Austrian young female white lama. Mm-hmm. It's not that common, right?
2: No. In our tradition, we almost don't appoint lamas so much. But this tradition has, especially this Dzogchen Buddha path tradition that, Rinpoche is, that Rinpoche is teaching, I think we have nine female and nine male lamas. It's, it's, it's a good mix but I am the youngest currently and I'm the only one in Europe within this specific tradition. But that means that (laughs) I am in charge of all of Europe.
1: (laughs) How do you handle this responsibility? I think it could be similar also to maybe in everyday life, having a job and being a boss of someone, but... How do you personally uh, encounter this uh, responsibility and this challenge?
2: That's a good question. Really, I think it just comes down to remembering, first of all, that Buddha's teachings are helpful. The one thing. That they work and that they need to stay in this world. And then second, remembering that this all of this is about bringing benefit to others really if it doesn't then it's useless it's not fulfilling buddha's teachings if if you remember that then even if people are not happy with your decisions which sometimes happens is not going to be so Bothersome. I as a teacher need to grow and and become more skillful in how how I lead. And that is there's nothing wrong with that. That is perfect. I cannot pretend that I am something that I'm not. I need to work from where I am now.
0: How do you see Buddhism in Europe
2: 2021? <laughs> I would wish that we that we would be coming together a, a bit better, that Buddhists because there are so many different Buddhist traditions and schools and ideas, I would hope for a little bit more collaboration between those working together because uh, really the goal is the same for everybody. We want everybody to be a little bit more happy at the very minimum. If any any Buddhist practitioner, any Buddhist school and tradition just wants to bring some benefit to people or to beings, animals, humans, anybody. So a little bit more collaboration, I think, would, would be nice.
0: That's a great reminder why we are here as a community, European Buddhist Union. And that's also what this podcast is about, connecting and learning from each other.
2: That's beautiful. Thank you for doing that.
1: As I was listening to you, uh, Rita, when you recalled your, um, yeah, your responsibility and your good intention to serve the Buddha Dharma, uh, do you have this thought that maybe occurs to also uh, some other people like, what about me? Or like this sensation of, um, if you are serving so much for other people, don't you have this little tiny thought? What about me?
2: If I said that I didn't have that, I would be lying because I'm still a sentient being. I'm not yet an enlightened being where I can, where I have totally let go of my clinging to myself and how good and important I am. So I need to just disclaimer, I'm a sentient being. So yes, I still have that. But that is mostly a feeling. It's mostly like, oh, I want to relax. I don't want to have... I don't want to get up at five in the morning every single day for the past year. (laughs) I want to sleep. Of course, you know, of course I want that sometimes. But for me, there's always this, I, I always make a kind of strong distinction between what I feel like doing and what I want to do as to what I decided to do. And what I know is the right thing to do. What is more important to do than what I just feel like. Yeah, of course, I don't feel like getting up at 4.30 in the morning every day. Okay, that's fine. That's okay. I don't have to feel like it. Not everything needs to be, yeah, I definitely want to do this all the time. But I know it's right. I know it's important. And I know it's more important than what I feel like. I always make that very clear distinction between some emotions and something that I definitely decided to do
1: so
0: Emilia do you have anything to add? For sure I would like to add something to the end humble thank you to Bodila Marita for being with us today thank you so much and we have been reading some poems here in this podcast uh, today I have a little poem from uh, Zen master So Shan from Korea. So you can just close your eyes and breathe in, breathe out. On a clear and bright day, clouds gather in deep valleys in a remote and silent place. Radiant sunlight illuminates the clear sky.